0: Welcome to Saving Lives, discussing critical care with me, your host, Eddie Joe. Today's topic is going to be discussing what's raving on the news and social media, this press conference or whatever whatever venue it was where there were several physicians who were touting the benefits of using hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc in outpatient medicine. And that leads us to a very important question. Does it actually help these patients? Well, the truth is, we don't know. If you're 100% convinced that this is a cure for COVID, you're likely wrong. If you're 100% sure that it likely kills everyone, you're likely wrong as well. Both groups need to take a step back and take a deep breath. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. This morning when I woke up, my inbox on Instagram was filled with people requesting my response to this video, which I had honestly watched the night prior. Now, with regards to all this, I am open to being wrong. I definitely welcome your opinion. First of all, a series of disclaimer. I'm not gonna take into account the, the credibility of certain colleagues in this video. If you Google some of them, you'll find some less than impressive things about them. This information could come from them or in all honesty, Dr. Fauci. At the end of the day, I'm here for patient care, not for salacious headlines of a person's character. Knowing that, my stance doesn't change. We do not have enough data. There were other things that were discussed in that video, including masking, prophylaxis, and other things like that. I'm not going to mention those things in this podcast. I'm keeping this apolitical. The focus is going to be on hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, as well as zinc. To those of you who don't know me, some quick background. I'm a critical care medicine board certified physician. I do not do any outpatient medicine nor primary care. I do not envy the responsibility of these physicians in the community. I mean, they have to try to take care of these patients with very little data as well. And what they're trying to do is keep their patients from meeting my team as well as myself in the ICU. I'm sure that they don't envy me either. Now, in the grand scheme of evidence, what these speakers were talking about was anecdotal evidence. And in the scheme of evidence, this is the worst type. You know, this is like when I say that I provide patients who are in septic shock with IV vitamin C, thiamine, as well as hydrocortisone, and I personally feel that they benefit from it. You know what that means to the medical community at large? What my opinion means nothing, and that's okay because that's anecdotal evidence. However, right now, anecdotal evidence is all we have with regards to the cocktail of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc in the outpatient setting, and this is quite unfortunate. This is a quick addendum to the podcast that is actually today on the 29th, the actual podcast was recorded on the 28th, as people from Instagram have sent me new data with regards to outpatient trials of hydroxychloroquine. I'd like to mention though that these trials do not include zinc and azithromycin, so stay tuned all the way to the, all the, way to the end of the podcast for that information. at Whole Foods Market. As mentioned before, today's the 28th of July. If you have a patient who's in the ICU or as an inpatient in the hospital, data is showing us that hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin is not promising. It's not helping these patients and in some cases it might even be causing harm to these patients. I'll get more to that in a moment. Again, I do not think I've read one study though that includes zinc in the mix, but I could be wrong and please correct me if I am wrong. In my opinion, once somebody lands in the hospital, whether it be one of the inpatient wards or in the ICU, they're in the pro-inflammatory phase of COVID. In my opinion, it is too late at this point for a cocktail, such as hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc to work. Again, I could be wrong, but data supports my claims. When the CRP, D-dimer, as well as ferritin are climbing through the roof, the patient has bigger problems. Then when you go ahead and you add medications that potentially affect the heart by prolonging the QTC, excuse me, or the QT interval for that matter, such as the azithromycin as well as the hydroxychloroquine, you might be asking for trouble. We're learning more and more every day that COVID is causing problems in the heart, including myocarditis as well as its prothrombotic manifestations. So that being said, adding more problems to the heart is not recommended. So, What I've done is that I've made a call to the community that follows me on my different social media accounts, including Instagram, to help me find data, if any, with regards to using this cocktail in the community. Long story short is that there's no data on this thus far. I even went ahead and searched on clinicaltrials.gov, which only showed one study that utilizes these three medications. And at this point, it's currently enrolling patients. They plan on enrolling a total of 750 patients. Here's just my opinion, and again, I could be wrong, but they're going to need a much larger sample to prove one of their primary outcomes, which is number of participants hospitalized and or requiring repeat ER visits. So again, let's say that you have 750 patients, you divide them by two, half of them are going to get the cocktail, half of them are not, but you have to think about in general, out of all the COVID patients that are diagnosed, how many end up in the in the unit, and not necessarily in the unit, but in the ER. And... You know, I'm pretty sure that that study is not going to show a benefit simply because it's underpowered for the endpoint of avoiding people from going into the hospital. But again, I could be wrong. What am I personally seeing being an ICU doctor? Well, in my personal preference, excuse me, my personal practice in speaking directly with these patients, I'm learning that many of them are coming to the hospital five to 14 days or even longer after being diagnosed. Many of them have had symptoms for a week or so before even going and getting tested. But what the physicians in the video are suggesting is that if they start the therapy early, then the progression to needing hospitalization is ameliorated, meaning that they won't need to go to the hospital because they got put on that cocktail. Now, we do not have any data, to my knowledge, that suggests that this does work or this does not work. I know it's extremely polarizing right now because of our political environment, And as a matter of fact, when I went ahead and posted this, I got called, you know, somebody who's on both sides of the political spectrum, which at the end of the day means I'm doing my job correctly because I'm staying purely apolitical in this. And in the absence of data, we need to do the best we can. My ICU data says we shouldn't administer it. Therefore, I do not use it in my practice. But who am I to tell an outpatient doctor what they can and cannot do in the absence of evidence? That's a question now that this video is out and the population is up in arms about this video either in support or against it we need to take a step back guys i keep on reiterating this i go onto twitter and there are people who i respect who are very passionate in one direction or the other and it's it's kind of bewildering to me because in the absence of data stating that it does work or it doesn't work we we need to allow clinicians to the ability to, to practice medicine and decide what's best for their patients I mean, these these primary care doctors honestly have have nothing to support outside of supportive care. Not not everything, in all honesty, is solved by a clinical trial, especially when nobody's even not, nobody's even trying to do the clinical trial. You know, I, I talk a lot about vitamin C, thiamine, and stressosteroids steroids, and you know, when i have when I've been doing my talks on it, you go on clinicaltrials.gov and there's like fifteen to twenty different trials on it. But when you look at outpatient COVID management, there's barely anything there. So we can't we can't depend on the trial list in a lot of cases sometimes clinicians have to do their best clinical judgment you know if you're going to go ahead and, and prescribe this therapy you have to discuss the risks risks with the patients obviously look at their uh, med list and make sure that there's no other QT prolonging agent on there you should do a baseline ekg baseline labs you know make sure it's as safe as humanly possible and discuss with the patients that hey you know there is there's is a potential that this could cause harm but again, not everything not everything needs to be solved with a clinical trial, especially when the clinical trials are not in, in the works. And it's really hard for a lot of these physicians who are in private practice to even go ahead and start a clinical trial. <laughs> They're probably not even tied up with you know, a research department of some sort. But that's just my opinion on that. If a primary care physician were to walk into my ICU and tell me how to do my job, I would honestly lose my mind. So that's that's just my my take on all this um i hope you all learned something from it i hope that us as a as a medical community we could take a step back and let our biases and and our other you know motivations not not get in the way of our rational thinking because at the end of the day there are a lot of people who are sick unfortunately and we have to do the best we can to take care of them with what we got Thanks a lot for your support, guys. Have a great day. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. If you want to tell people the big news... I think either Brazil or Portugal because he speaks Portuguese and this particular study is from the Annals of Internal Medicine and it was published on the 16th of June of 2020. It's on my website and it's titled Hydroxychloroquine in Non-Hospitalized Adults with Early COVID-19. There's some big issues with this study. First of all, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, they did not use azithromycin as well as zinc. But in addition to that, a very important limitation is that only 58% of the patients were tested for COVID. Part of the study took place when COVID testing wasn't as readily available as it is today. And that means that 42% of the patients included in the trial were probably COVID or had high-risk exposures. They weren't actually diagnosed. This study showed that giving hydroxychloroquine did not work to control symptoms. It is important to note that while not statistically significant, Ten patients in the control group ended up in the hospital, while only four patients in the hydroxychloroquine group ended up in the hospital. Again, you can't do anything with that data, though, because it's not statistically significant. Moving on to the second update, and this one comes via Courtney, who sent me this outpatient study from Spain looking only at hydroxychloroquine. It was published on, let's see here, July 16th as well of 2020 in the journal titled, Journal Called Clinical Infectious Diseases. And the title of the article is Hydroxychloroquine for Early Treatment of Adults with Mild COVID-19, a Randomized Controlled Trial. And in this study, as mentioned for the other one, they didn't use azithromycin and zinc, and it was a randomized controlled trial in outpatients using only hydroxychloroquine. The patients had symptoms for five days or less. The primary outcome was viral load. And honestly, there was no difference in that. The cool thing about this study is that 86.7% of the, of the patients enrolled in the trial were healthcare workers. Now, there was no statistically significant difference in hospitalizations. At the end of the day, that's what we want to do. We want to avoid patients from going into the hospital. And even if we were going to go crazy and extrapolate the not statistically significant difference, as there was a difference, the number needed to treat would be 83 patients in order to show a benefit of avoiding hospitalization in their patients. That's uh, that's not that good. But with regards to adverse effects, you know, they didn't have any major adverse effects. Neither did they have any major adverse effects in the prior study I had mentioned. But in this case, the, quote, most frequent treatment-related adverse effects amongst patients given hydroxychloroquine were gastrointestinal. This means they had diarrhea, nausea, and abdominal pain. And nervous system disorders, which include drowsiness, headache, and metallic taste. But no major adverse reactions were noted. So... Those are just two trials. I'll go ahead and as I keep on reading more, I'll keep on updating this podcast so that we have the best data available to make the best decision for our patients. Thanks a lot, guys. Hope you all have a great day. Bye.